everybody's sick. So uh, we will still with with those. <laughs> no, everybody's coughing. Go ahead, Randy. Cough. Here. I haven't caught yet, so I'm going to sit over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a haunted choir. All right. Uh, we're, we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to catch up to where we were uh, before Easter. So do me a favor. Somebody read 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 30. Let's read the, the end of 1 Corinthians 12 there and catch up. It's a it's a race to see who can get there first. 27 through 30. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, those who speak in unknown languages. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all have the power to do miracles? Do we all have the gift of healings? Do we all have the ability to speak in unknown languages? Do we all have the ability to interpret unknown languages? Okay. Of course not. Ooh, yours even has an of course not? Yeah. Oh, that would have that would have been helpful. Um, because I, I think that's implied in there. I mean, he doesn't actually say it, but yeah, that's the answer to that. What is Paul's point here as he sums up his argument about the spiritual gifts? Actually, I guess, you're, you're, of, course you're, of course not. But how would you say from 27 to 30, what's he getting at here? Why does he even list these? What's, he, what's the point he's getting at? Well, first of all, there's not a point or not something we can do right. He said that repeatedly. Anything else? And is everybody is everybody this or that with Yeah, not everybody has the same gifts. Not everybody does the same things. It's just not the way this works. And it doesn't have to be. Right? What does that suggest about how the Corinthians or even today's church can abuse the Spirit's giftings? Because, I mean, we're talking about the Spirit giving gifts as He chooses, when He chooses, how He chooses, to whom He chooses, to do specific things. How can that possibly be abused? By thinking we have something to do. Okay. That in and of itself becomes its own. Remember what you're going to say. How is that in and of itself an abuse? Just just thinking that we're the ones that have something to do with it. Because glory itself instead of God. And clearly that's what the Corinthians were doing, Right. Because they were saying, I have this sort of gift, you have that, I do this. What were the, 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 he actually gives a couple that are hierarchical, right? Which, you know, that, he says, first this, then this, then this. What are the ones he gives? First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. But we know from, if you look at the whole thing from, from 12 to 14, they're really focusing, the, the ones in Corinthians, the, the Corinthians themselves, they love the gift of tongues. They're, they're loving that one. So why does he get that hierarchy then? Isn't a hierarchy First this, then this. Not because it's a list, but because he says first this, and then this, and then this, and then there's all these other ones. 
It, 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 it is implied there, that because he breaks these out and says, first this, second this, third this, and then all the other ones. I'm saying that, well, not every time does someone say first, second, third, is it an absolute right? And that's true. Because we won't want to say that apostles are more important than prophets that are more important than this, that's what I'm asking with the higher. Right. At least he's giving, maybe I'll say it this way. Linguistically, and, and most of the people that have read this get the sense that he's doing a hierarchy, but I wouldn't build too much on this because I think he's doing that here for a reason. He's not saying teachers are more important than you people. You're so don't generalize. Don't hyper-generalize, but why might he, I think you were going to go somewhere, well, why might he be breaking this out here? Whereas Hurst said, had to, you know, forget this, he says, do not interpret um, it says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Right. You You're cheating now. At 31. So. <laughs> but, but you get the sense, remember how Paul oftentimes will do this. He'll, he'll remember when he was talking to the Philippians, and he's like, if you want to be impressed with something, look at my resume. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be impressive. I mean, here he's kind of going, you guys think speaking in tongues is the end-all, be-all. Technically, if you really want to get down to it, the end-all be-all is to be an apostle. God himself went, you have been sent. I send you this. You know, it's like, and then prophets that have been given some some word of edification by God and teachers who are given. Then we can start talking about workers of miracles and people who can have leadership skills and people who can. If you really want to get technical about this, which I don't necessarily feel a need to, but if you really want to get technical about this, the stuff that you are all jazzed about is it's part of a lesser clump of things. It's just spectacular looking. Well, in, in the context, correctly if I'm not looking at this correctly, but in the context of reading all of those, and let's say that is the hierarchy, <coughs> it ends with 31 that says, but you really desire the greater gifts and I will show you the most excellent way. So even within the context of the hierarchy, and then it leads into chapter 13, which is like, this is even better than all of those Mm -hmm. And the thing about 13 is that it's a wonderful We'll go there next. So, yes, it's a wonderful... Uh, in some ways, in some ways, people for years, on both sides of this equation, people have seen chapter 13 as kind of a parenthetical. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then you go to chapter 14, and he starts talking about how, how prophecy is more important than tongues. Because prophecy edifies, tongues just edifies the, the person speaking in tongues. So people for years have said, so chapter 13, he kind of goes off on a tangent and comes back. Other people will take chapter 13 and go, yeah, I included that in my marriage, my wedding, because it's all about love. And divorcing it completely from its context of, about spiritual gifts. I would argue both of those are missing a crucial point there that, that Christie's getting at. Well, and if it's parentheses, then what do you do about the first couple verses of chapter 13 where it talks about prophecy and, um, and, and tongues and all that. I'm with you on that, yeah. It, it can be read that way, but it misses, it misses the flow into chapter 13, and it misses, I think, the point of even the, that, what, chapter 13, was it 4 through 11 that actually gives the, it misses that. So anyway, but so you get the sense of, you get the sense of, it, it's focused on you. What were you? What did um, you? I was just thinking of, of Samson. Or Samson. 
Okay, how so? How he, how he abused it. He kind of, not that, I mean, the spirit came upon him, but sometimes he was very much like, watch what I can do. So that takes what you were saying and puts it on steroids. <laughs> but I mean, but not just I'm considering it about myself, but I'm only using it about myself. I'm actually taking this gift and saying, God wants me to use this. Even if I do this to accomplish what God wanted me to do, i.e. smack some Philistines, I do it because I'm angry with them, not to glorify God. You know, I, I do it for my own reasons. So you used to think, you go, well, but maybe you're, you're given tongues to edify the church, ultimately. You speak in tongues, and then David is supposed to stand up and give an interpretation of the tongues, and it's supposed to edify the church. But that's not why you stood up and spoke in tongues. You did this thing that God wanted you to do, but you did it to glorify yourself. Not just thinking about it that way, but then going, that is why I did this. Kind of like I gave a wonderful, wonderful sermon, or I gave a wonderful, wonderful prayer. You go, that's great. Why? So that everybody could hear me give this wonderful, wonderful prayer. You go, then I'm glad that people heard a prayer. I hope it drew them close to the Lord. But from your perspective, this was wrong. What you did, the why behind it, negated everything that God wanted you to do with this. So, um, if you remember, even with uh, even with some of the prophets, well, most most pointedly Balaam, it's like trying, to, or 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 even Jonah, purposely taking the words God gave you and expressing them in a way that suggests things other than what God was telling you. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Yeah. Unless God totally changed his mind about what he was doing with Nineveh, what he meant by that was, in 40 days you guys will either repent and be different and be healed, or you will be destroyed. But that's not the way Jonah phrased it, because Jonah's still moving his own lips, even though God is giving him these words. So yes... Every stage of the, of the way, every time we've looked at a spiritual gift, every time we looked at the Spirit moving in people, and if, if, you, if you remember that when we talk about the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, and I just kind of have to remind us of this, because I know we've been seeing this over and over again over the last couple of months, we shouldn't just think of spiritual gifts. We should think of all the different ways that the, that the Spirit is moving and giving us being. The Spirit is giving us breath. He's, he's giving us life. If we can ever abuse that breath he's given us. If we ever abuse the gift of life the Spirit breathes into us, then we can see that, yes, it's possible to abuse anything that the Holy Spirit gives us. It shouldn't shock us. If, if you can say, I had breath in my body today and I used it to yell at my spouse when I shouldn't have, you go, well, then it shouldn't shock you that people can abuse the spiritual gift of tongues or can abuse the spiritual gift of ripping city gates off their hinges. Because... We're not puppets. We're not marionettes to God, even if he is inspiring us. Anyway. All right, David, I'm going to let you do this. Why don't you read verse 31? Now, you only desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Okay, so, loaded question. Why does Paul interrupt his whole discussion about spiritual gifts, which he picks up again in, in, in chapter 14, with this tangent into chapter 13, the love chapter. Okay, why do you say that? Because love is a spiritual gift. Okay. Because it's not a tangent. 
Okay, because love is a spiritual gift. And it, he, he just said, you're going to talk about the greater gifts. Okay. Aspire to do the greater gifts. And if you love the Lord, you love God, then you're going to desire to the greater gifts and other, and appreciate the other gifts as well. Okay. And... And hopefully not abuse them, because if you're doing this for love of God and for the love of the people around you, that will diminish how much you will be able to abuse this. At the very least, it's love has got to be a part of it. If, if he's trying to tell you the motivation. Yeah. yeah, how does he actually end it here? You can desire the greater gifts, but... I'll show you the most excellent way. To do what? I will show you the most excellent way to love others. Okay, what is another option there? Well, the most excellent way in, in regards to gifts. In, re in regards to eagerly desiring the greater gifts, or in regards to living out the gifts? Okay. I refuse to answer this question myself to right now. But I mean, it is... It is technically grammatically ambiguous here. Because he's like, I'll show you the more, more excellent way. You go, of doing... What exactly? And, and I, I, I'm not sure that we think about that too much. I think we, we tend to jump in and assume that we know what he means there at any given moment. And it's like, well, show you the most excellent way of what exactly? So somebody read me chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, perhaps not alone, I have only ever sounding calm or kindness. If I have the gift of prophecy, I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith, before I get into too much, <laughs> instead of thinking of this as the beginning of chapter 13, which we which we oftentimes do, or or we'll skip it all together and just jump to chapter 13, verse 4. Remember, originally there are no chapter divisions, right? There's no verse divisions. It's just a letter. So, let's try to think of it as just a continuation of the argument that Paul's been making. Because remember the last time we talked about, even when he's talking about the we're part of the body, he's not just describing things, he's making an argument, right? Saying, this is not the way to think of it, this is the way to think of this. So, do me a favor, try reading, we're going to cheat and read that again, but try reading verse chapter 12, verse 29 through 13, verse 3, but I'm going to ask you to do in, 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 kind of like with Nancy's body. I want, to, I want to add one implied thing in here. When you get to the beginning of verse 1, there's an implied because there. Alright? So do me a favor, read chapter 20, 12, verse 29 through 13, 3, but put a because at the beginning of verse 1. If you want to, go ahead and read it again. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I will. And now I will show you the most excellent way. Because if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, and all, all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor. And surrender my body to the flames, but have not love. I gain 
So how does that actually flow from the end of chapter 12 to the beginning of chapter 13? What's the flow of the argument he's making there? I think he's, one of the things he's saying is all these people are clamoring for all these gifts and want and think there's a hierarchy of them and they all want to speak in tongues, but he's saying, um, yeah, those are all great. But if you don't, if you don't have love, if you're not using them in love, it's not. Right. It's kind of like doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. It's, it, all it is is just that, I, lo I love the imagery he gives, it's just this clanging symbol. It's, this, it's like, all you're doing is making this shrill, unpleasant noise. <laughs> yes, but it's a spectacle. Yeah, but it's not melody. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's an empty, clanging, shallow thing. And I, but the reason I had you to put that because in there, because think of it this way. He's like, you guys have the wrong perspective on how you're doing these spiritual gifts. I want you to eagerly desire the greater gifts. Let me show you the best way of doing this, the, the most excellent way of doing this, because, because if you do this without love, you're missing all of it, right? Now, if you say it like that, is he describing love as the spiritual gift here? Yeah, love becomes the, the how and the why. A lot of times, and, and I, <laughs> I don't mean to put you on the spot, but a lot of times, a lot of times we do. We, we look at this and we go, because he's showing that love is the spiritual, is, a, is the greater spiritual gift. You know, technically, that's not what he's doing here. Now, I think you can make an argument. I think there are other places in Scripture that make the argument that love itself can be a gift from God, an, an ability to love people that it's hard to love, or love at times that it's hard to love, etc. No, I agree with you completely. It doesn't flow from this right. Scripture. This becomes crucial where he's like, I'll show you the most excellent way, and the most excellent way is love. The most excellent way of doing this is to love as you're doing this. This is the, the how you go about doing all those what's that you guys are so excited about. Because I'm suggesting to you that the what's are not that exciting in and of themselves. They can be the shrill banging sound instead of being something they should be. You can be the greatest elder, the greatest deacon, the greatest teacher, the greatest whatever in the world and be, from God's perspective, this clanging symbol because you're doing it with all the wrong motivation. Your how and your why are out of whack. And, and we don't want to do that. So how does this arguably put the, those, those Corinthian abusers in, the play, in their place? How does this say, before he even goes into the details here in chapter 13, how does this say, guys, everything you're doing here is wrong? <coughs> and get them to try to, to say from a different perspective. <coughs> were they also judging them that if they didn't have performing out, you know, um, outside the, any of these gifts, that maybe they didn't have the Holy Spirit? We don't know that. There have been denominations nowadays that have suggested that. I know, yeah. like, I have someone very close to me that she does not go to a church if they don't give speaking in tongues. Yeah. Um, there, there are some churches that, that say that if you have not specifically spoken in tongues, for instance, you have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. You might have that initial, the Holy Spirit living in you, but you've never been filled to overflowing, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, what have you. So it's possible. Um, we, don't, we don't know that about the Corinthians, but it's possible. Um, we do know, because this isn't a Bible study, this series hasn't been a Bible study on Corinthians, so we haven't gone through all of it, but we do know in Corinth, they've been 
proud of himself for all the wrong things. You know, hey, look at the grace we've shown to all these sinners. He's like, no! <laughs> Showing somebody that you let them continue to sin without the repercussions of those sins just helps them to sin. You're doing that wrong. You're, you're not showing grace. You're showing tolerance for sin. Stop it! You know? So their, their whys are all out of whack. So it, it, we don't know. It could, be, it, it could be that they have that problem as well. So when he's talking about love here in chapter 13, bear in mind, this is in the same context as the same letter where he's like, guys, it is not showing love to these sinners to tell them you're going to hug them and keep them in your church family and make them feel comfortable as they continue sinning. That That's clearly not showing love, right? Because he specifically says you, you should have kicked them out of the church, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians, the same letter that he has a whole chapter on how you need to make sure you're showing love. I love that those are in the same letter, because clearly he's not saying you should be loving in chapter 13, but when you're dealing with people who are sleeping with their stepmom, you should not be loving. It's like, no. It's like, you should absolutely be loving. But if you remember, I guess it was even last week's sermon, where I said something about, um, it's not loving to make people feel holy and clean while letting them remain sinful and dirty. That's not that's not loving. And so, when we're talking about love, we're talking about something that is a little bit more complicated than hugs and squeezes. But So, so he's telling them, you guys got to stop and think about how you are doing these gifts and why you are doing these gifts. And I would say, that adds up to the following question, how, do you, how does chapter 13 arguably put us in our place then? Well, just like with the Corinthians, it puts in the place he takes like the very... What, what the Corinthians, or what we would see as the very best results of the gifts, um, or prophecy, knowing all the mysteries, and having all the knowledge for a faith that's so great that it does incredible things, that are all those visual and external things, he kind of smashes those two pieces, and then it's essentially the answer instead yep. of, of why those gifts are so great. Yeah. Um. Uh, Easter at uh, um, the Coachella Festival, they had a hundred thousand people at an Easter service led by <laughs> Kanye West, which means that's like the, this Easter at Coachella, they had a hundred thousand people at a worship service led by Kanye West. Clearly, Kanye West is the best pastor on the planet because if you're measuring it by just number of people. I mean, that's obviously it's the best, right? Yeah, and people could sit there and go, "Yeah, that's what I'm engaging. The most spectacular thing in the world. Clearly, that's what everything's cool." Or you can flip side of that and go, "No, we had seven people, but we're right. We have we're the only ones with truth." Everybody walked away from our service happy, whereas people felt convicted at that service. Therefore, we're right. How, what, what are the things that you could potentially gauge that you are proud of with your church that could potentially be abusive because it's missing the whole point behind it? Well, I was going to say, it's not even, I mean, the one way of looking at it is all those things being spectacular, but it's another way we measure things as being solid, as yeah. being uh, without blemish or without fault. If somebody has perfect knowledge, if somebody has... Um, that strength of faith, um, and they're using that as a measuring stick. No, I mean, it, it goes back again to all that. Sure. 
Well, and, and, and let's, again, one more time, cross-apply that. Samson had tons of spiritual gifting, right? And, and stepped out of those spiritual gifts and did amazing things for God, and God kept gifting him. Therefore, Samson must be solid. He must be a great guy. You know, well, well, well no. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily follow. In the same way you go, maybe somebody has, has this gift of prophecy, and you go, well, then everything they say is golden, and they're a solid Christian, and everything's great. You go, well, no, it doesn't necessarily follow. Well, and even, I mean, I was thinking about... Uh, back in Samuel, where uh, right after Saul is trying to um, get rid of David and Nicole, you know, hides and hides, like puts the idol in his bed, sends him on his way, and Saul is trying to come after David. And like right after that, he starts being filled with the Spirit of God in prophecy. And he's prophesying, and the men around him are prophesying, and God's Holy Spirit, it goes back to God's Holy Spirit, is really the one that's doing it. And, Yep. uses all people. So looking at it as something that we do is back to what we're talking about is that's totally wrong and even it's other people or people that are really struggling. Or, or even David himself, a man after God's own heart. I mean, you go, this guy has a good heart. He loves the Lord. You say, uh-huh. And he's severely messed up. So, yeah, I, I think anything that we can apply to this, I, I go back to what um, Randy said to, to begin with is said to remember it, it is all about what the Holy Spirit is doing it's all about the sovereignty of God doing this it's not, oh then this makes me oh no, a spirit filled Christian, oh no, David I used to be David, but now I'm David a man after God's own heart I used to be Samson, the guy that has slightly long hair, and now I'm Samson the guy with longer hair and rips things apart I used to be um, point is, we can look at this and say, ah, this now makes me this high-fluting, this this higher person. You go, Corinthians, or us today, you've missed the whole point. None of this has been about to make you feel elevated. All of this has been to honor God and to draw other people closer to the Lord. Anytime that you say, but it also makes me kind of special too, you go, congratulations. Now you have been no longer part of this blessing. You have removed yourself from this. God may still use you, Saul, or, or Samuel, or Samson, or David, or Floyd, may still use you to do different things, but you can't claim that this has made you blessed. You may have been blessed at various points of time, but you are not now the blessed Sarah you were. No, you're, you're still just Sarah. Funky little teaching moment. Forgetting weddings for a moment, um, and, and how these these verses are usually used. Let's try to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 11, solely in the context of the context that, that that Paul is writing them. Just just for a second, read it as if he were only talking only talking about how these relate to spiritual gifts. Not even about how we should treat each other as Christians. Spiritual gifts. Why would he be telling the Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind, with regard to how they're interacting with one another with spiritual gifts? Potentially they were rushing each other to try and prophesy or, you name it, try to use those gifts. One up, sure. Oh, a ton of it. And the kindness, I mean, 
We've already seen, in, in chapter 12, didn't we? We've already seen that some people were apparently talking about my gift is better than your gift, and other people were then thinking, well, then I'm not I'm not important. Not just my gifts are not important, but I'm not important. I don't need to even need to be here. Gary is so important because Gary's special gift is so awesome. My gift is so mediocre. Gary is an eyeball, and I'm a toenail. I'm nothing. We don't. They, the church doesn't even need me. And Garrick says, "Well, but I'm a generous eyeball. I kind of like to have you." And you go, "That's not kindness. That's not a kindness to anything that facilitates people thinking that they're unnecessary." Good. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. Why is he saying this to the Corinthian church in this context? And what does that do? If you disregard loving one another in this way, what does that do to how you or why you live out the spiritual gifts at all? Yeah, and remember, remember, we've talked about this a couple of times. Um, there's nowhere necessarily that indicates you have a the gift carved in stone. You have a the gift of hospitality, whereas you have the gift of healing. Therefore, if we need healing, we go to you, not you. It's like there's no place that suggests that. I mean, there's. There are some places where you suggest that, that maybe some people repeatedly are stepping out in, in some specific gifts. But it's not like, you have this gift, you have that gift, you have this gift. The closest we get to that is that Paul says, well, not everybody always has the same gifts. Not everybody always does all the same things. Like, okay. <laughs> but So if, if you say, well, I don't need to step out in my gift of hospitality because it's not important here. What we need is a gift of healing, so I'm just waiting for her to step out in hers. It's like, again, we get back to thinking that gifts are about us, right? My gift that I have of this. And you go, no, it's the spiritual gift. Nancy, you may have never had any kind of spiritual gifting at all. You may have spent your entire life going, I'm just, I'm just uh, diligent. And I'm here, and I'm doing, I'm, I'm, Discipline. I do what I can do. I've never felt spiritually gifted. And David just broke his arm, and he's in pain. Would it be wrong for you to, to lay your hands on it, pray, and say, "Lord, heal him"? No. And you know what might happen? Nothing. There have been people I prayed for that they don't die, and strangely enough, they're still dying. Go figure. And yet there have been things I pray for that I don't know that I, I say, well, I clearly, repeatedly have the spiritual gift of fill in the blank. And uh, amazingly, stuff happened that had nothing to do with my personal ability. And maybe I've never, maybe God's never used me that way again. But if he used you that way once, is that enough? If you were the person sitting there and you stepped out in the spiritual gift and God filled you with this spirit and healed David's arm, that's enough. Amen. And if you go, well, I have the spiritual gift of healing. Technically, the best you can grammatically say is, you did it at that moment. And maybe you will again. Well, in that, 
Yeah. If you remember last time, I think we said something about it. We forget. It's us possessing it instead of it possessing us. The, the spiritual gift using us. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Stop thinking about this about your marriage. Stop thinking about this about being a parent. Stop thinking about this. How does this have to do with how they're dealing with spiritual gifts? Well, just like Christy said, we might, if the Holy Spirit's really in charge, it could go from one to another. Hospitality at one point, another need, prayer, um, healing, all that can switch around. You know, I think this is a wonderful time for my speaking in tongues moment. No, actually, actually, it's really, it's really not. We, we need to, we're, we're trying to show hospitality and Donna's stepping out in hospital. You know, I can speak in tongues! You're being rude. You're being self-seeking. Stop it. What, you think you're better than me? Now you're angry. Stop it. This is the fourth time you've spoken out uh, in tongues with improper. Yep. But it's a gift. It can be. I'd say this is the fourth time you've done it inappropriately. One of those times might have even been led by the Holy Spirit that you used improperly. Read chapter 14 where Paul goes, okay, the Holy Spirit is leading you, but you still have to use some organizational principles here, okay? It's giving you gifts. Hold off on it for a second and do this in the right context. Those other three times, Bucky, I think that was just you saying yabba dabba do backwards, okay? Because you like the sound of your own voice. Oh, you said... There was somebody in, in college that actually was trying to teach somebody to speak in tongues, and he said, what you need to do is start saying yabba-dabba-do backwards. Just nonsensical stuff, and eventually you'll just roll into speaking in tongues, and this tongues of angels will start, and I'm just like, okay, you really need to stop talking now. That is so not the way this works. Do not listen to Bucky. I love you, Bucky. Please don't ever give people that advice again. Um, <laughs> on so many levels, on so many levels, because then it suggests that tongues really are just nonsensicalness. And it suggests that you can make them come. Yeah, don't do that. Anyway. But it's not rude. It's not sitting there going, this is all about me. Let me take the spotlight. This is all about my timing. Let me do this. This is all about, I wanted your gift. How did I, you got this gift, but I wanted that gift. All these things are the wrong perspective on this. It's the opposite of the way that we should be looking at this. Love doesn't delight in evil, it rejoices with the truth. What does that have to do with how they're looking at spiritual gifts? When you are um, watching somebody go the wrong way, sometimes it's in our human nature, it can be just fun to watch them plummet and okay. feel better about ourselves. Or conversely, you just join in. Yeah. What other kind of evil could we be looking at, though, here? Well, this is a, this is a, I guess, what the one they talk about with embracing the sinner and the sin, instead of just dealing with the sin and the truth about it in a loving way. Okay. Absolutely. I think that works in the context. Both of what you guys are saying totally works in the context of 1 Corinthians. Is there anything that they've been doing with the spiritual gifts specifically that has been evil? Or do we not think of it that way? Well, if you think about, if you tie even with to be first above and being self-seeking, it 
it is absolutely able to use like in, in the context of pride uh, and um, using the gifts of it for the one that's being glorified. That's absolutely I have this gift, and my gift is better than Mark's gift. Mark's gift is a stinky gift. I mean, I love Mark because we're supposed to be loving to lesser people. And so I love Mark, but my gift is an important gift, and Mark's gift is a lesser gift. I am delighting in my evil thinking, am I not? Well, even delighting in, even if it has absolutely nothing to do with comparing somebody else, but just delighting in the, the pride of Oh yeah, because because Lucy was telling me the other day about how my amazing my gifting is. I mean, she never even mentioned Mark, so it doesn't always have to be about me and Mark. But I'm just saying she never even mentioned Mark, and she said, I, it, "Kevin has such this wonderful gifting." And I don't know, fill in blank. Yeah, this wonderful gifting, and uh, and so she was just delighted that her pastor is somebody who's so gifted in um, horticulture. You know, whatever it was that was so spectacular. But the idea is, she go, "Wait, what are you guys delighting in?" Again, when we get to this part of, the, of 1 Corinthians 13, sometimes we go, I, I'm not really sure what he's getting at here. Like, in context, it's like, what are you guys actually delighting in? Is it something that honors God? Love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. What does that have to do with how they're treating spiritual gifts? could also be a, um, a litmus test for the spiritual gifts if it's not serving or trusting or not good. Not necessarily a gift. Is, is, is what you're calling a spiritual gift or what you're calling how the Spirit is leading you, is that something that is protecting people? Is that something that is trusting God? Is that something that is hope, instilling hope? Is that something that lasts? Or is that something ephemeral that is actually ripping people down needlessly? Is this something that is undermining the church? Or is this something that's actually building them up? Does it matter the why behind it? So crucially, love never fails. It doesn't fail. It's not going to fail. You go, I don't know, I've been in lots of marriages that have failed. I'm going to go, right. You failed love. Love didn't fail you. You stopped loving. Not Love left you. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there's tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. Th these things will crumble at one point or another, right? As spectacular as your prophecies are, as spectacular as your tongues are, there's going to be times where you, you don't have a tongue that you're speaking in, right? There's going to be times where you don't have a prophecy. There's going to be times where you don't supernaturally know something. Right? And there's going to be times where love isn't there. No, there's never a time where love isn't there. Because love isn't a gift here. Love is the mindset, the paradigm that you're doing all these gifts with. Or it's not. Love is the paradigm you're using for parenting. Or it's not. Love is the paradigm you're using for your marriage. Or it's not. Love is the paradigm you're using with your interaction with your brother or sister in Christ. Or it's not. Love is the paradigm that you're using to reach out to the non-Christian. Or it's not. Not, well, love's kind of screwed up there. Love let me down. You know? Nope. It is either the paradigm you're using or it isn't the paradigm you're using. Why did you reach out to the non-Christian? I did a beautiful gospel message so that I could feel holy and remind myself that they're dirty, dirty sinners. You go, well, then you've done it wrong. I, got, I, I, I made a decision as a mom. Why? Because 
<coughs> no, why? Because you're trying to be loving? I said no, because I was frustrated. That's wrong. If you said no because that was the right thing to say, because that the child shouldn't do that, praise God, you're being loving. If you said no because I was just so sick of the kid, that's not loving. It's abusive. It's the paradigm, or it's not the paradigm. What happens? Go ahead. And the other thing that I mean that, that I like about that specific one is we we're talking about how the spirit is <coughs> something that gives us the strength for that moment for that task. Whereas you know if you look at the idea, of it's based on love. I'm if I happen to have a speak into someone's truth, and I might go the next time and I'm like, oh, I got this, and then I don't have the right mindset. I'm not going in. I'm thinking, oh, I did it great that last time. Oh, I even have a beautiful exactly. <laughs> One of the first prayer times I was at here at at at, at, uh, at First Covenant on uh, Wednesday night, a woman came in off the streets. Uh, she never came back. She was just there one time, and she said that she was a prophetess. And I was like, um, huh? And I, I believe Randy was sitting next to me. I'm like, does this usually happen here? He's like, no, whatever. And and we were praying, and and she she got a message about somebody. I should probably say it. She got a message about somebody. And she commented, and I'm like, um, yeah, that's actually rock solid. Yes. From the interaction I've had with this, with this guy, yeah, she's dead on. And then she went to another person and spoke about him. And I'm like, yeah, that is absolutely right. And it was, I was like, I was praying on it. So part of me is like, okay, man, you can... You can sit down. No, don't sit down. You're you're being led by God. This is this is really solid. And and, I'm, and 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 you could hear in her voice she was very excited about it. And she went to somebody else, she started talking, and I heard her voice change. I mean I heard it go from I'm excited about what God is doing to look at me. And she started doing other words of knowledge about people and I'm like, No, no, that's not from God. And I was praying about it and I'm like, Yeah, no, 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 no. This is all you know. Because she got so excited. God is using her. And she was being used by God. Until she wasn't anymore. Because she's just riding the crest of the wave. And so I, I eventually got up and, and quietly put my hand on her shoulder. I said, thank you so much. And had her, had her sit down. And we went on with the prayer meeting. But it was just one of these things I'm like, no. I heard it change. I heard the spirit leave her. I felt it. I knew that she had been filled by God. And was giving words of knowledge, and then I knew that she was no longer, and she kept talking. What were you going to say? I remember. Okay. Because <laughs> that feeds into this. But we know in part, and we prophesy in part. We know bits and snippets. But when perfection comes, the imperfection disappears. <clears throat> What's he getting at, Dave? I don't know when I read that, my first question is. Okay. Anybody else? Absolutely. Use that lady that you just talked about as an example. You said it disappeared, and it stopped being. Yeah. Oh. Or, or, or that, that he said, you, you said what I wanted you to say. Thank you. And she's like, 
but I'm not done talking. He's not so much the Holy Spirit disappeared, but he's like, the script is done. Thank you. you you're done. I gave you five minutes of things to say. Why are you talking for seven minutes? The last two minutes have just been you, ma'am. Well, it was saying, and so where it says we know in part, we have seen part, like, it's coming home. There might be parts of us that are aware or know some things in just, in just general faith in ourselves and the of God, but then it's from that which spirit comes in. It does, it takes away the parts that we don't know in the things by definition are just pinpricks to the curtain, right? I mean, it's not like it's like, I, now everybody knows everything. It's like, no, we got a shaft of light here. We got a, a, an idea here. Because he goes on and he goes, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. There's childish ways of looking at things. You've got to grow up a little bit. You've got to look at this stuff. <coughs> In the same way here, there's a time where you got you, you got pinpricks. You got ideas. When I was a kid, my parents said, you don't get to leave the yard. Actually, when I was little, they were like, you can't go out in the yard without us being there. And then they're like, okay, you can't leave the yard. They're like, then look both ways before you cross the street. And eventually they're like, okay, drive carefully. And then eventually they're like, okay, have a great day. Not that they cared less and less about me, but I'm mature, right? I, I understand things more. He's like, okay, right now we get pinpricks. We get little moments. At some point... It's not just little moments anymore, right? At some point, there'll come a point where we, we know fully. In fact, funky little teaching moment, we talked about this last time. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 is often cited as a verse that shows that gifts such as prophecies and speaking in tongues and knowledge have ceased. Somebody read verse 8. And so people say, see, the sign gifts, the, the spectacular things have ceased. They left with the last prophet, they left with the last apostle. That's what this verse is clearly saying. Does Paul indicate in this verse when these gifts had already ceased? No, because he's saying you should be stepping out of these gifts, right? So they haven't ceased. Does he indicate in this verse when these gifts will eventually have stopped being? In this verse. Does Paul indicate in verses 9 through 12 when these verses will eventually stop being given by God? When these gifts will stop being given by God? Somebody read me 9 through 12. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when, imper when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Has this perfection or completeness come yet? Do we see Jesus face to face yet? No. Why might gifts like prophecy or speaking in tongues or supernatural knowledge, logically, why might these cease being given when all Christians from all time are standing together in complete union, knowing fully and being fully known in the presence of God himself? Why might we not need prophecy and gifts of spurts of knowledge at that moment. Because we are in the presence of the knowledge of the things that these particular gifts are supposed well, that gifts are supposed to be doing, leading us to God. Yeah. There is no curtain 
until the import breaks through, right? So logically, isn't that what Paul's saying? There will come a point where you don't you don't need those things, right? Because you're standing in God's very presence. You don't need an email from me if we're looking at each other. I don't need to send you an email. We're talking to each other right now, right? If all that makes total sense, why have so many cessationists developed the doctrine that all sign gifts cease at the death of the last apostle? If the argument that Paul is making is, well, of course they'll cease at some point when we're actually standing face to face with God. Why have different churches said, yes, so clearly that's happened and we no longer have any of those gifts? And, and that is an argument I've heard. Well, they're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a big thing. When I talk to most people, they're like, and, and when I was growing up, I was just like, we don't see it. Why don't we see it? Could be us. Must be God. It must be something doctrinal behind that. Let's go look for some verses to tell us that. Which is a dangerous way of doing theology, by the way. The flip side of this, of course, we talked about last time, there are whole denominations that develop doctrines that say, well, everybody has to jump through these sign gift hoops, or else they're not really Christians, right? But they're not really filled with the Spirit. But it's the same problem, isn't it? Whether you're saying, I absolutely know that the Spirit absolutely doesn't work this way, or you say, I absolutely know that the Holy Spirit works this way. Technically, that's the same problem, isn't it? Why do we do that? Why are we so motivated to limit, control, otherwise pigeonhole the Holy Spirit and what he can do in our lives while simultaneously being comfortable not knowing very much about it? Again, how many things have we talked about just in the last couple of months? Just reading Scripture, even Scripture you've read before, have you gone, I don't think I realized that before. Huh. Why do we feel so motivated to pigeonhole the Holy Spirit at the same time that we feel so comfortable with not knowing Him. I know that's a thought-provoking question. He is scary because if we look at scripture over and over again, he is the most intimately involved part of the Trinity. He is the one who loves us dearly and searches our hearts and knows our hearts. He's the one who dwells within us. He's the one who draws us to salvation. He's the one that draws us to repentance. He's the one that engages with us on a constant daily basis. He's the one that empowers us and directs us. When we talk about God directing us, you go, technically, you're talking about God's Holy Spirit directing you. You can't even talk about God's Word directing you technically because you can open up any old verse and look at any old thing and read any old thing into it. If you're actually talking about the direction of God, you're talking about times where the, where the Word comes alive in you, right? And speaks to you and says this. This verse is what I'm trying to tell you today. It's the Holy Spirit in you that's drawing that Word to you, isn't it? So I'm not demeaning or diminishing God the Father or God the Son, but I'm saying it's the Holy Spirit that's doing all of that in us. And that is scary. And it's also intangible. And anything we can't put our finger on and we can't quantify that is scary and makes us feel vulnerable, we will take great steps toward quantifying, putting it in a box and making sure it's not so scary. We love 
We love to develop doctrines the Bible never says anything about because it makes us feel comfortable. It makes us feel comfortable that I get to speak in tongues, therefore I'm a spiritual, spirit-filled Christian. And if Lucy never has, she's not a spirit-filled Christian, which technically makes me a better Christian than her. But I would never say that about me being a better Christian than her. So those people feel better about themselves and prop themselves up. And I'm sorry if anybody from any of those denominations is listening to the MP3. I'm not attacking the denomination as much as the mindset behind it is going, if that is leaving somebody to say, I am thus better than you, then you have missed the entire point of the spiritual gift. Conversely, those denominations where they say, well, clearly these signs have, uh, have ceased. I'm like, but the Bible doesn't say that. At the best, you are reading into that, trying to figure out why you don't see sign gifts working so much. Amazingly, there are other parts of the world where, no, sign gifts are flourishing. There's a whole bunch of parts all over the world where people see all sorts of things going on. I've seen all sorts of things going on, even in America. But in general, the American church is not into sign gifts as much. And I think that has a lot more to do with us than it has to do with God. But we want so desperately to control that so that we feel like we're on top of it and we feel like it's my gift or clearly God didn't give us any gifts but the idea that God might gift us in ways that I am not being gifted in suggests that there's something about me doesn't it if God is actually gifting people today and I don't feel particularly gifted that says something about me doesn't it which makes us the same problem as the people that go no God totally gifts people today and that says something about me Somebody read me 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why do faith, hope, and love remain? The gifts may pass away, but faith, hope, and love remain. You're going to see God in the face. Faith, hope, and love remain. You know, trusting in God, believing in Him. Love, you can see, because that's a paradigm. Hope is the whole, it's not the having faith in things you don't see. No, no. It's the hope of love. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. It's faith, love, hope, love, and perfection. And why is the greatest of these still love? Why is that even greater than all the other ones? You've heard me define love before, and I've said multiple times, anybody that says you can't define love, it just does not try. Every word can be defined. To me, when I think of love, when I look at a consistent biblical love, it's the desire to commit yourself to meeting the needs of another human being, another person. It's, it's not just, I feel warmly toward you. It's not just, I guess I will do good things for you. It's the desire. It is an emotion. It is commitment. It's the desire to commit yourself to meeting the needs of someone else. To say, I'm going to see helping you, loving you, being with you as priority. Which, of course, that's what Jesus did on the cross, right? The whole point of that is to say, 
I'm loving you guys. And by that I don't mean, I just want to snuggle each and every one of you as a nail the nails through my flesh. No, it's not snuggles. It's saying, I am, I desire, I, I don't want to get crucified. I had a whole prayer about that last night. I don't want to get crucified. But I want, I desire to commit myself to meeting your needs, even you guys that are nailing me to this cross. I love you. That is God stepping out. This is why this is why the Bible talks about God is love. Not just that he's some kind of mindless emotion. You go, God is the core of saying, I commit myself to meet, to, and I desire to commit myself to meeting the needs. And he's like, whatever else ever changes, faith, hope, and love remain. And the most important of all that is this core, I desire to commit myself to meeting the needs of another. That is core. It's bigger and most important than anything else. And Paul says, right. So think of all this with spiritual gifts. If love is the paradigm, the paradigm that Christ asks us to, um, what was, Christ said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. People will know you're my disciples if you, it's how you love. This is core to everything. If you guys don't have that, you missed the why and the how behind everything that you're doing, even the most spectacular gift. So question number one, Trixie, Trixie question number one, is Paul talking about faith, hope, and love as spiritual gifts? Or is he talking about them, especially love, as the means by which we best make use of spiritual gifts, the most excellent way of doing spiritual gifts? Yes. Yes, but I would say ultimately he's talking about this. I'm not talking about love is as a spiritual gift here. I'm talking about love as the most excellent way of living out the spiritual gifts. Anything else than that is not what they were intended for. This is the framework they were intended for. Because how did he start chapter 14? What does he say? How does he kick in with verse 1? So, so he's like, all right. I want you, I'm back to eagerly desire, because that's where I left off in verse, at the end of verse uh, chapter 12, right? Eagerly desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you the most excellent way. So follow the way of love as you eagerly desire the greater gifts, right? And then I'm going to go talk about that. So in some ways it is a parenthetical, and yet it's a crucial parenthetical. Because he's like, this is, this is the whole thing I'm getting at. When I say the most excellent way, I mean the, the way of love. And that should be how we're exercising this. Trixie, question number two. If stopping in 1 Corinthians 13 to talk about loving each other is not a tangent, what does that suggest about why Paul is... What? If it's not a tangent, why is he even bringing up the concept of spiritual gifts in the first place? Why do we even have a discussion in chapters 12 and 14? about how you're supposed to speak in tongues. And here's a nice list that we can remember. So we can have a spiritual gift inventory so you can decide what your spiritual gifts are based on what you feel like you want them to be. Why did any of that even come up? If 13 is not a tangent, if it's the core of it, why is he even talking about spiritual gifts? Because it's the process of being accountable to those gifts. And because the reason he brought up anything in 1 Corinthians is because they're screwing it up. And so he's like, okay, here's another thing you're messing up. And why do we have this wonderful section that we'll talk about next week about communion in 1 Corinthians? Because they were botching communion, right? They were doing it so badly, he's like, i got to talk to you about how to do communion. 
And so I walk through the communion service that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians. Why? Because the Corinthians were screwing it up. How do we have these wonderful discussions of spiritual gifts? Because the, the, the Corinthians were screwing it up. And he's like, this is how you do it right. This is that accountability. Which is interesting because we're like, okay, I love 1 Corinthians. As Paul goes into all this stuff and, and about spiritual gifts. He's got these great sections on spiritual gifts. I'll write whole books on spiritual gifts based on 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. This will be great. And, and I'll, I'll nod to the love chapter because that's important too. You go, no. The love chapter is why he even brought up. 13 is why 12 and 14 even exist. Because they were not doing 13. And it kind of puts it in perspective when we want to sit there and really focus on spiritual gifts. To think about that, it's not about the spiritual gifts. It's about the Holy Spirit giving gifts and the love we should have that we live out with. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. I thank you for putting things into perspective. I thank you that Paul is saying we should desire greater gifts. I thank you that he, he wants us to desire spiritual gifts. I thank you that you gift us as you see fit, as you will, as you desire. But I thank you, Lord, that in all that, it's in the context that the gifts themselves are almost being expressed as incidental. That really, 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 what we need to do is to be open to being used by you as an act of love toward you and toward one another. So Lord, I pray, help us to have that perspective as we look at the spiritual gifts in, in our lives that you use or in the people around us, that it's not about the gifts, it's about being used by you to glorify you and love others. Give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.